Hello, this is Bill Curley. And Holly Hudley. And welcome to the podcast In Between, which is an educational offering of St. Paul's United Methodist Church and Ordinary Life. Hi. So I understand you're really, really, really excited about the World Cup. I am. I bet, by the way, I watched the movie The Cup. Yeah, yeah. Did you watch it? I haven't watched it. It's on my list. Instead, I've gotten absorbed by something much darker. What? Hunters. Who? Hunters. It's about about a band of um, people who hunt Nazis. Oh. (laughs) Well, let's go back to talk about Let's go back to the cup. I had forgotten that it has such a redemptive quality to it. Mm. I mean, there's a redemptive quality to the story. I mean, the, the storyline, as I remember it, seeing it in the theater years ago, was it's about this group of young Buddhist boys who have been put in Buddhist monasteries in India because their parents are trying to keep them safe from the Chinese in, who've invaded, taken over Tibet. So Mm -hmm. they put their boys in these monasteries and the boys, of course, are boys and they're all caught up in the World Cup game and they want to watch it. And of course, in the monastery, there's no TV or anything like that. So they make arrangements to rent a TV set to watch the final game of the World Cup. And it's uh about what they have to do to make that happen. That's awesome. it's a subtitle movie, so you have to read. I uh, got it off of uh, Amazon Prime, I think. Uh, it's so worth watching. It's just, it's just so good. Yeah. Uh, the the I could not remember the name of the the Buddhist monk who is the intermediary between the young boys and the abbot, but his he's called the Geki. Mm-hmm. And um, the abbot is trying the Geki's patience because the abbey, abbot keeps packing and repacking his trunk, thinking that any day they're going to be able to go back to Tibet. <laughs> Which, of course, they're not going to do, but yeah. he nonetheless does that. What we old people do. Mm. And um, then the young boys, on the other hand, are hiding uh sports magazines and copies of playboy under their mattresses (laughs) so that they can do what young boys do but their passion is about soccer Uh and they will sneak off and go into a village and watch it on a tv set it's anyway they arrange to get a tv for the last game and the interaction between the Geki and the abbot, when the Geki knows to tell the abbot that the young boys want to rent the TV, and the abbot is trying to understand why. And the Geki's saying, well, there is this content. Uh-huh. It's like a fight. And um, the, ab- the abbot says, a fight? Really? Who's it between? It's, well, it's uh, between France and Italy. Oh, my goodness. Uh, what are they fighting about? Well, it's about the cup, the World Cup. <laughs> yeah. Now, Abbott has been drinking tea out of a cup. So he keeps looking at his cup, thinking, they're fighting over a cup? That's so silly. <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah. I mean, don't we all have at least one 
worldly pleasure. <laughs> as long as we have a body, we have a worldly pleasure, Absolutely. right? Yeah. I hope we have more than one. Yeah. I mean, and I, you know, and as you know, for me, what one of mine is, is sports, particularly soccer and baseball. Um, probably now I, I watch more baseball than I do soccer, but I love a good competition. And I think I also love watching athletes, athletes at their, and, and sports has also just been for so long in our world. It, it definitely has divisive qualities, definitely can tear people apart, but it also brings people together in really beautiful ways across language well, and culture and beliefs. And yeah. You were talking a minute ago before we got on about how much energy it takes to play a soccer match. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. And does it take more energy to play a soccer match than it does to play American football? I think so, because in football, you switch out um, offense and defense and special teams. Uh, with soccer, you have this pretty much the same 11 people on the field the whole time. And you sorry, and you, so these guys are running miles every game. And, you know, with football, I do think that the there's kind of a, an, an immediate response and the body has to be sort of immediately put into action. And then there's a pause and then there's an immediate reaction. And then there's a pause. I think it probably takes more like strength to play football, but I think it takes more uh, fitness to play soccer. So there, there are 11 people on a soccer team. The anyways. Uh, and so most of the guys, sorry, I, I'm, my brain is off. There are 11 people on a pitch, on a soccer pitch at any given time per side. <laughs> there's a goalie and 10 field players. And um, so that means there's 22 people on a, on a, on a pitch at any given time. Okay. And um, I'm confusing my two sports, nine on a baseball field, 11 on a soccer field. <laughs> so why do they, why do they call it a pitch? Uh, good question. I don't exactly know the answer to that question, but, um, okay. we, okay. Uh, we do everything backwards in America and the rest of the world calls soccer football. We call it soccer because we have American football. The rest of the world calls it a pitch. We call it a field. Uh, the rest of the world calls your shoes boots and we call them cleats. So there's a, there's a lot of, there's a, actually a really funny commercial between, Peyton Manning and uh, Beckham, who was one of the greatest soccer players of all time, David Beckham. And, mm -hmm. and it's this, this language diet back and forth about all the different languages between British English and um, American English, starting with what we call chips and what they call crisps. Yeah. <laughs> and well, yeah, and it's, it's really funny. Yeah. When you, when you, when you were talking about how much energy it took to play either one of those sports, uh -huh. uh, I was thinking about, um, a football match that I saw, an uh, American football match that I saw last year, last season. Mm -hmm. And I think it was between the Seattle Seahawks and Kansas City Chiefs, I think. Uh -huh. uh, I'm not sure. Kansas City has um, Patrick Mahomes as a quarterback. Yes. Yes. Oh, I'm not the person to ask, but yes. Yeah, yeah, no, so. he, I, no, I know. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and you know, he's a, he's really an amazing kind of guy. Anyway, what struck me was the fact 
that uh, how much energy both of those teams put into this very closely contested battle and how when it was over, the team that lost was just obviously exhausted. Mm -hmm. And the team that won acted like they could play another game. Totally, yeah. Yeah, because the fact that losing and winning does Mm -hmm. something to our state of mind that causes us to feel either elated or, or dejected. Absolutely. I think so much, some of that is the euphoria, some of that is adrenaline, some of that is um, the, the fuel we get from excitement too. Why can't we, same thing applies, why can a mother lift a car off of a baby? You know, <laughs> I mean, these kinds of things that happen either in fear or excitement that can propel our bodies forward right. in such a way. But so it, when, when I was younger and I played a lot of soccer, we would have tournaments over the weekend, which meant sometimes you have three games a day. And yeah, so in tournament play, it's like back to back to back. And then your final game is usually on a Sunday afternoon. And, you know, when you play three soccer games a day and you're a starter, which I was, you're sometimes running the equivalent of like a half, a half marathon or more during those games. And I I have always said, I've always been in awe of people who run marathons until I realized, oh, wait, I used to run a marathon every weekend playing soccer mm. tournaments. Mm. And, and I actually, I hate running. It's just, I, I hate it unless I have a sort of purpose in my running, which is a ball at my feet or getting to first base or chasing down a ball. Um, but running just for running is just not my chosen sport at all. I always ran to keep in shape for the sports I did play soccer and softball. And once I stopped playing soccer, I was, I remember, I like, remember this day so clearly I was jogging in my neighborhood. I was like, I hate this. And I just stopped and I never jogged again. (laughs) I stopped in the middle of a jog and I was like, I'm done. And I, and I went and I just walked the rest of the way home. (laughs) But well, we, Usually when we do these podcasts, we have some idea of what we're going to do. And <laughs> we had no idea we were going to talk about soccer for maybe we'll have to uh, no, but I, I do have two agenda items. <laughs> okay. All right. That you don't know about. Okay. First of all, if anybody has not gone back and either heard or watched Holly from last Sunday, do her wonderful presentation in ordinary life. Please do so. You were amazing. Oh, thanks. That was so good. Aww. And, and I, I mean, I think you could tell by the way people participated, the response you got and everything. It was really, it was really good. I have had so many positive, positive responses and comments about what you did. That's one thing. And you can elaborate on that if you choose to. The other agenda item I have is I want to say how relieved and grateful I am that our United States Senate has passed a resolution that will protect same-sex and interracial marriage. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, That that's definitely a relief for so many people that we both know. Um, 
I, and is that resolution also mean that it's no longer, it cannot be decided on the state level, they'll protect um, at the federal level, no matter what? That I was, think so. yeah, I think that so. was, and I don't know the answer to that. That was my only worry was, can the states decide um, whether or not to legalize a marriage? You know, what I would, would uh, two women have to leave certain states to go get married as it yeah, used well, to be right um, before DOMA was overturned. Well, we don't, we don't have a national law about abortion, but we do now yeah. have something about same-sex marriage. Yeah. And yeah. the, uh, there's always been this battle in the United States since the Civil War between what's called states' rights and the rights of the of the republic. And um, until the recent Supreme Court decision, the, the, the law was in the land, the law of the land was the right to abortion. And then when mm -hmm. that Supreme Court thing came down, then it reverted back to the law of the states, the states' rights. And now I think that with the law, the passage, the recent thing about same sex and interracial marriage, it's a it's the law of the land. Mm -hmm. That's what I yeah. think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, it, it, um, both of us have our issues with <clears throat> so-called organized religion and Christianity, and so I. I didn't intend to go into that, but what's going on in the Methodist church about the right to um, have a union with who you love. It's yeah. a, the split in the Methodist church is about who you love about yeah. nothing else. Yeah. It's, it's, well, it's funny. Cause I kind of think like, yes, it's about who you love and nothing else, but when you care about who people love, chances are, you care about other things too. You're you're judging people on other things too, and you know I think that this stems back to to so many things. A, a, um, a literal reading of the biblical texts, um, the male-dominated patriarchal form that Christianity took from Constantine on. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, just this is about so. So we, we tend to hold up these sort of talismans, right? Like this single issue that 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 kind of draw a line in the sand, are you for or against? But that but that single issue very often points to are we a person that is expansive or are we a person that is restrictive? And I'm just curious. And I, I certainly do not want to sound arrogant or like I've got it all figured out. But it seems that we fall along those two lines in many things, right? Being a person who can, um, who's willing to learn, who's willing to expand, who's willing to grow and be challenged. Mm -hmm. And a person who's uh, restrictive, exclusive, does not want to be challenged and has a very clear black and white idea about how the world should go. And that seems so sharply, there's a clear division. And, and right. 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 how do we get, how does that, how do we get past that, you know? And am I right to say that the right way to be is to be more expansive, inclusive, and curious? Well, you know, you, 
the right thing to do is on the side of growth and inclusivity mm-hmm. and because that's the healthy thing and um Jim Hollis in, in a, several of his writings talks about his interpretation of Carl Jung mm-hmm. being how do we bring expansive life and living into the world expansive yeah. not restrictive and yeah. he talks about how so many people live in shoes and clothes that are too small for them yeah um, I have a, I have a colleague I wish I'd thought of this I won't mm. tempted to say I made it up but it would not be true uh, who did an interesting thing. He went out and measured the windshield on his car. Mm-hmm. You know, windshield on the modern car is almost four feet across. Yeah. And then he measured his rear view mirror. <laughs> and it is very small. Mm-hmm. And he said, there's a metaphor here. Yeah. We need a bigger yeah. vision going forward than we do back. Yeah. And And yet, yeah, that small mirror sees peripherally, right? And that small mirror informs a lot of how we move forward, you know? And so this, yes, we need a a larger vision moving forward than we do looking back. But um, the danger in getting that mirror too small and looking back is that we forget we forget where we've come from. You know, I, I, gosh, was it two years ago? I, I gave you the book recommendation, it's a young adult book, The Giver. And I, I went on and on about how much I love it. And in The Giver is the title of the book, but it's also a character in the book who is the keeper of memories. Right. And the, the society that The Giver lives in is a society that does not keep memories. They don't know anything about where they've come from. They don't have any vision for the future. They just live in this very systematized, controlled world. And the giver lives with all this pain and angst, um, but also lives with emotional depth and complexity because he has access to the whole cadre of memories that this, that has led to the building of this society. And, you know, if we don't have memory, we can't change. You know, you, you you and I came up with this idea that in teaching ordinary life going forward, we're going to talk about making sacred the already sacred path. And mm-hmm. I've been thinking since taking this time off from not teaching mm. about, you know, when we return to talking about that, um, what, what are the things that we would say put in place as guidelines for constructing the journey? And I've thought about many, many, many models of, of this. I'm re- reading a book right now that is a interpretation and summary of some of Ken Wilber's integral theory book uh, mm-hmm. thing, because frankly, Ken Wilber's own writing is it's difficult for me. Mm-hmm. Some of it I can get, but I do better with his interpreters. Mm-hmm. And I, it got me to thinking that, you know, in uh, Schubert Ogden, who is a theologian who was a, very renowned in American theology, he um, was part of Perkins School of Theology, actually, in Fort Worth, part of TCU, mm-hmm. um, I think. No, part of SMU. Uh, it, he, um, he he said that in, in the the. Anglican tradition 
that the four things that guided the journey were scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. Hmm. Hmm. Um, two of those really go back into uh-huh. the back. Uh-huh. Two of those are more present tense and forward looking. Um, I have recently said that I think the things that guide us are the principles of love, honesty, and freedom. I hope those can be grounded in the past and formed by our understandings of what those things mean, but Mm -hmm. are mostly focused on the future. Mm -hmm. Um, I suppose there are others. Um, I'm I'm hesitant to say that 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 you know the Bible. I think the Bible and teachings from the tradition ha, ha, certainly has a role to play in helping us shape, because teachings of venerable elders plays a role. But the risk, it seems to me, in that for people who claim to be Christian or Jewish or Muslim, are um, the risk of exclusivity. Mm-hmm. So that, that makes yeah. sense what I just said. Yeah, I mean, it, it absolutely does. And I, you know, I think all sacred texts have wisdom for us. We could expand that to say all texts have wisdom wisdom for us because some texts may indicate for us, oh, that's not a path forward. You know, this is not a path of expansion. It's a passive restriction. But um you know one thing that saddens me is that we really don't have a pattern for what it means to be a leaderful, non-hierarchical society. We just don't know what that looks like. And as a result, we can't really examine anything that we have access to without also seeing it through that lens, right? For how long have um, men dominated decision-making? For how long have... um, uh, have men dominated churches, right? For how long have white men specifically in America dominated institutions? And it's it's really hard to imagine learning to see and do another way. It's like imagining God as being itself or God as female, even. We don't have an imagining that tells us that's true for thousands of years. And so this is like really mind bending for us to go, well, what is another way if everything we've ever learned has been through hierarchy, patriarchy and right. um, yeah. Like what does, you know, I don't, cause I think one of the dangers of going, oh, there's wisdom in these texts and this is how we shall live is that the text let's say the biblical text, as we know it, was decided by a council of men. <laughs> mm-hmm. So there's so we can't even imagine what it's like, like the world that Jesus conceived of where um, he broke open the pyramid structure of existence. It's not one we actually know how to even conceive of. 
Mm. And that's, um, that's tough. Yeah. Because we keep relying on old models to do something new. And <laughs> um, I alluded to Pythagoras on Sunday, who was, you know, kind of a philosophical and math genius. He came up with the Pythagorean theorem, which is about the hypotenuse is the square of the two sides of a triangle. Mm-hmm. And um, the his society was... Uh, as many women as it was men. And it was a secret society. I don't know what else they got up to, if there were reasons why it needed to be kept secret, but this, I wonder if part of the reason it was secret is because it included women. I'm having this memory of um, when you said that, who was it Pythagoras who said, give me a lever and a place to stand and I'll move the world? Uh, who said that maybe keep talking okay you can google that really quickly Uh give me a lever and a place to stand and i can move the world okay where's the place to stand it's archimedes archimedes Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah he's the guy ran nicking down the street going eureka (laughs) um yeah, is that why you, you will give me a place to stand and a lever long enough and I will move the world? Where's the place to stand? Yeah. On an, one of the turtle's backs who's holding up the the whole thing. <laughs> you got the thing about turtles. I think I know someone else who has this thing about turtles. No, it, it, yeah, that's not me. I that's, know. That's my wife. I know. Um, I love the, I love the mythology about turtles being the carriers of the universe. Mm-hmm. Um, these slow moving beasts carrying the universe on their backs. Turtle but, is a really powerful totem, mm-hmm. by the way. Anyway, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah. the question remains really when we speak about wanting to move ourselves forward mm-hmm. where where is it that we do stand and i think that that one of the ways and reasons that ken wilber has come back into my life is that he um he's tried to do in philosophy and psychology and theology and spirituality what einstein tried to do in mm-hmm. physics and that's create a unified theory of everything yep yeah, I, what I, yeah, what many people in the world of cosmology and physics have tried to do, and, and spirituality, been, by the way, by the yeah. way, this is the convergence of all of them. You know, yeah, yeah. And nobody's been successful, right? Well, I love what Stephen Hawking said, which is, it's the pursuit that is the unified theory of everything is this curiosity, this continued pursuit, and so I wonder if all we can really do is just get closer and closer to the edge. And then push a little beyond it. Go back, go out to that edge and then push a little beyond it, you know, and mm-hmm. that's the generational wisdom that we hope to pass forward to our children, to our children's children is just get them close enough to the edge that they can push a little beyond it. Mm-hmm. Like a cat at the edge of the universe, right? Just knock that pencil a little further. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> yeah, I saw a t-shirt the other day that said one of the ways we know the earth, earth is not flat is that if it were, cats would have pushed everything off by now. Yeah. Well, just as we started this, my cat walked across my computer screen and knocked a pencil off onto the floor just to tell me she was here. <laughs> she, you know, cats are, cats are funny. <laughs> yeah. Well, you have an adventure coming up. I do. I'm really looking forward to it. This is kind of uh, my gift to myself for having turned in my dissertation to my committee. Um, not yet got a defense date, but I um, wanted to go on an adventure. And my best friend from college and I have a long history of adventures. So she and I are taking a trip to the Sea of Cortez in Baja, Mexico to kayak and swim with whale sharks and sea lions. It sounds wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be completely out of pocket. <laughs> I'm glad that you're doing it and I'm going to get to stay here. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'll, see your, I'll see your pictures. Yeah. You can tell us about it when you come. Actually, you'll be here next week, but it's the following Friday. Is it? I leave like in two days. In yeah. two days. So mm -hmm. yeah. how long will you be gone? The second through the 10th. So a little more than a week. So we will not days. do a podcast next week. Nope. No podcast next week. Nope. Okay. Yeah. Well, we wish you safety and have a great trip. I will. You too. Have a good week. Okay. On I'll flat land. Okay. <laughs> okay. Bye. 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 Bye.